Hi, this is Zoe Routh, and thanks for tuning into the show. You're awesome. I just wanted to know how much I appreciate you. This is the show about people stuff in leadership, and my overwhelming core objective is to help you shift your perspective so that you can become a more wise and compassionate leader. Yes, it's grand plans I have for you, my dear listener. And if you feel so compelled, I invite you to exercise some karma reward points by leaving me and the podcast a review and a rating at ratethispodcast.com slash Zoe. Ratethispodcast.com slash Zoe. I know it's out of your way and I totally appreciate the effort and energy that goes into every single rating and review. It does help get the word out about the podcast. So if you love what I publish and put out there and the guests that I invite on, help me out. That would be awesome. Well, let's talk about some problems and challenges that you might have. Do you have too much on your plate? Are you looking for ways to cut costs and boost productivity? Like which business isn't? Do you have 26 projects on the go at once? Can you believe it? You may have more or less than that, but probably too many. Today's expert guest, Ishan Galapathy, shares his approach to solving these chronic workplace stressors. So a little bit about Ishan before we get into it. He is an operational excellence expert, an OPEX is the lingo. He's worked for years, nearly two decades, with multinationals such as Kellogg's and Arnott's. He has a really strong manufacturing background. In his last corporate role, he was responsible for operational excellence in the Asia Pacific for Kellogg's and was part of the global team that developed its global supply chain and excellence program. And at the end of the interview, we explored a whole bunch of different things around uh, what that means from a cultural differentiation point of view. He's got a lot to offer and a lot of deep insight. He has like x-ray vision when it comes to seeing productivity opportunities in business. So let's get into it. Wow, we have an amazing gentleman who I absolutely adore and think is fabulous. His name is Ishan. Ishan, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Zoe. I uh, look forward to um, this podcast. <laughs> That's good. Well, first of all, Ishan is a beautiful name and you have a funny accent. So you got to tell my listeners and me where, where are your accents from? Yeah, so a popular uh, mistake people make because of the name is, um, and of course the looks, is to ask, uh, oh, which part of India are you from? And my answer is, uh, it's not part of uh, India. So it's, uh, I'm from Sri Lanka. Oh, I love Sri Lanka. It's beautiful. It, it is. And um, yeah, so I'm pretty much uh, born and bred in Sri Lanka and came here to do my undergrad. And that was 25 years ago, I think, or thereabouts. Uh, you and me both, mate. I didn't come here for an undergrad, but we don't lose our accents, even though I've been here for 24-odd years, too. So there you go. Aussies mm. who sound funny. <laughs> That's us. I do. Very true. I do get picked. Uh, every now and then, people ask me, oh, have you uh, lived around the UK for a while, at least? Because I think I have a little bit, or people tell me that I have a little bit of a, a British accent. And I think that's because I learned English from our teachers in, in Sri Lanka, which is part of the Commonwealth. And I think the teachers have learned English from the British masters. So uh, I think that's where that's where the accent comes from. Okay, there you go. Very global. And that's probably a great, wonderful segue <laughs> into <laughs> your work as a global specialist in collective productivity. You've worked in manufacturing, which I, I have endless questions about because I've never done any work in manufacturing. And 
I have endless questions about collective productivity. But before we get into that, I've been asking my guests recently about this question. Leadership, how do you define it? And when did you realize you had the capacity or ability to do it? Wow, right. Uh, you, don't, you don't start with the small questions, do you? Uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'll, I'll tell you um, my intro into a leadership role, which I didn't know at the time, but uh, like everything else in retrospect. So I um, studied uh, mechatronics at university. What? Mechatronics? Mechatronics. What, uh, the, what the, is that? Uh, it's a combination of mechanical engineering and electronics um, engineering. So I guess the robotics, the automation, the world of, as we know today, yeah, the automation and uh, the world of digital. Okay. But this was the late 90s, so we didn't call it digital. But yeah, the subject matter is called mechatronics. So um, here I was, this student uh, who finished the first undergrad degree and then joined this company which was manufacturing aluminium windows and doors. The most sophisticated piece of kit they had was an electric drop saw. Um, you know, the kind of thing that where there's a person standing and there's a six meter long um, aluminium extrusion and they're cutting that kind of, the sound that um, your body shivers. That's the industry I joined after studying robotics. But they had 150 people in this business I joined as a process engineer trying to help the operations manager to improve productivity in this factory. What I didn't realize is I had the, the role of trying to work with close to 100 people to tell them how to improve productivity. Uh, they have been doing this for a couple of decades and I was the new kid on the block having to tell them how to uh, do it better. Oh, yeah. How did that go? <laughs> so I, <laughs> um, people tell me that I'm a good people's person. And, and I think I use that as my sixth sense. And I just worked with the people on the factory floor, understanding their frustrations and trying to find a way of improving their problems. So I was successful in that role, which actually became my go-to methodology of improving productivity and and as I progressed in my career you know my last role was with the global multinational Kellogg's uh, the food giant I was looking after all of Asia Pacific uh, seven factories almost seven time zones I think of the back of my mind I had no direct reports but I had to work with supply chain directors and trying to influence them and again I used that basic fundamental way of working in leadership is how do you go with that mentality of helping a team uh, so that they can improve and if you can do that without without the direct uh, management control you're doing that through influence to me that's the ultimate leadership um, is you're, you're helping your team through influence and they're doing it because they can see that it's going to help them. Okay, lovely. And so was it a cumulative, gradual coming into that capacity, like you had some practice in your first job? Or was there a moment where you crystallized going, oh, I guess I'm doing leadership now? What was it for you? Yeah, um, it, it probably wasn't in that first role, uh, because it was a process engineer. And I was pretty much 
doing a lot of doing stuff. Um, and I didn't realize um, it was leadership at the time. But what I did get from that first role was plenty of opportunities to grow with the business. And I was uh, kind of like a big fish in a small pond. So I had big opportunities to work on big projects, you know, big factory relocations. I had to do that. And I think it's in my next move, I realized what leadership is. Because I joined this other company that was uh, in FMCG, again, in food, highly automated, but also highly unionized as well. Uh, so now you have this combination of, yeah, you're trying to help teams, but all these other influential you know, points that you don't see on, on the surface. So the first day I joined this other company, they were on strike. Oh, great way to start. <laughs> uh, absolutely. <laughs> um, but then I realized uh, that the reasons why, and obviously there was um, pay disputes and negotiations uh, that were going on. But the power the people had, I guess, and then how do you deal in those uh, circumstances? I think that was my intro into leadership is that it's not what it seems on the surface, but there's a lot of politics and red tape and things that happen below the iceberg water level, uh, to use a cliche. I love that cliche. Uh, it's a classic one from a systems thinking point of view, which as a process engineer, you totally get. And I love that you point to one of the things I'm passionate about is the people stuff. And it's often the people stuff that gets in the way of productivity. But I'd like to hear it from the horse's mouth as a collective productivity expert. What are the barriers to productivity that, that occur in teams? You've pointed to one. You've got like these politics that you talked about, like you have unions and in some cases that there's some conflict in terms of interpersonal engagement going there. So rewind. What are the like top three, let's say, if there are top three barriers to collective productivity? Sure. Um, uh, yeah, so that being one. Um, the, the other thing, Zoe, I find is organizations, businesses, teams, uh, whatever size you are, everyone tries to do too much. There's no shortage of strategy plans. And I don't think with all the MBAs and with all the executive programs and conferences, uh, I don't think executives or leaders struggle today to develop plans. But what they struggle with is overloading their teams and therefore the rubber doesn't hit the road. Uh, you don't get traction. You know, there might be only one or two people who's pulling the, the weight of the team and then you feel like, well, why bother? Or that one or two individuals leave. So overburdening your systems, overburdening the team resources is one that I um, can think of. I remember working, just to sidetrack for a moment, this other business I uh, recently worked with. When they initially engaged with me, they said, oh, Ishan, um, this, uh, as in the, the engagement with me, uh, is, is the 26th project on our list. And I was oh like, my God. Ah, 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 ah. Um, you know, so funny, because I never think the, the concepts I introduce as a project, uh, of course, I come in and go, but it's introducing a way of thinking. It's a program to continually improve the business, to continually keep working with your teams. So... On top of everything else you're working on, the fundamental processes we are implementing in your business, the, the company, is a project. So, um, yeah, so I find uh, that to be uh, one of the issues. So pause on that for a second. So, like, 
that's how they started with you. you this is product number 26. You're <laughs> like, uh, maybe it should be the topmost priority. So how did, did they shift and how did you get them to shift to reconsider and reprioritize? Firstly, um, to ask for a bit of time to explain what this is about. And I think it's trying to get the key stakeholders to forget 10,000 feet, at least 1,000 feet high, because they're all involved in trying to move this business forward. So to be able to say, look, give me all the projects that you're working on and let's see where they fit in terms of priority or I guess to show them that my way of thinking is almost like working with the first principles so that any of the other projects that they work on could be worked through the way that I'm thinking. And also to show that, look, not all 26 needs to be worked on right now. You know, there are different stages that you need to start the project. You know, how do you, what's the implication of one project to the other? So to give them that thinking of, look, business doesn't need to revolve around 12 month fiscal calendar year. You know, the businesses go on for a lot longer. So let's plan this out in a systematic way. So to give them the understanding of what I've got to share with them is pretty much, as you said, the systems thinking or way of thinking so that any of the other projects can be implemented through. Okay, we'll come back to, to the way of thinking and first principles. And I cut you off and I, we were talking about obstacles to productivity. So we've talked about uh, people dynamics. We've talked about overburdening people. What's the third one? I have to say problem solving capability. Yeah. Yeah, um, because people look at me, they're like, well, Ishan, uh, there's no shortage of problem solving capability because we do that every day. From the moment we walk in, from nine o'clock, uh, metaphorically speaking, um, you know, nine to five, the moment we go off, that's what we do. But that's the problem. Uh, the problem is that people feel the type of problems that they solve actually helps to move the business forward. They're solving a lot of the day-to-day -day chaotic problems, uh, not the problems that they should be working on to move the business forward. So. I see, you know, the CEOs, the, the managing director solving the problems that their leaders should be solving. I see that the leaders are solving the problems that the middle management should be solving and middle managers are solving the problems that the teams should be solving. So it's like the whole business is running in this third gear. So it's to say, look, how do you a, identify what the problems are? Because in my world, um, sorry, the the engineering thinking uh, is how I see the world through, uh, through very much the structured approach. So how do you identify and classify different types of problems? And how do you develop the capability within the organization um, so that they get uh, solved? Uh, so that they, there are teams solving the day-to-day -day and you try to minimize the chaos. And how do you get some of your other key people trained capability developed to uh, really move the business forward so i just want to ask a couple clarifying questions so it sounds like everybody's navel gazing downwards mm -hmm. and one of the challenges is may not well it might be uh, might be problem solving skills but it also sounds like problem solving selection and that 
people are getting too granular in terms of what they're trying to solve. How do you teach them to do problem selection better? Is it through your first principles in terms of knowing what to work on? Right. Um, so, yes, I was trained, I guess, working with the multinationals. Whenever you solve problems, it's always to treat each one of them as a business case. It's almost like a, you know, how do you go to firstly justifying what the business case is? So why this? Why now? Always asking those two questions because there, look, there, there's so many problems that we can solve in, in business, right? So there's no business that I've walked into where there's plenty of resources. So everyone's struggling for resources. So how do you identify those problems and go, you know, why this, why now? So, for example, when I was with um, Kellogg's, I always had the view of, so I belong to the regional head office. So I was one of those corporate overheads and if I couldn't help each business unit to stay ahead of inflation and if I couldn't find a way of recovering all my travel costs then I became a burden to the business so I had the view of always um, unashamedly to look at everything I do on a basis of dollars and um, yes there are all the other uh, improvements from safety quality etc but uh, fundamentally how do you look at what is the benefit to the business and um, how do you prioritize accordingly? So, um, yeah, so to give the teams, how do you identify what these problems are? What's the purpose? Why now? And unless you can answer those questions and until you have the answers to those questions, um, don't, don't go forward and collectively, the business so when i say collectively from a business or an organization what the, the leadership team so they should be the ones who are saying yay nay to these problems that needs to be solved so that's kind of the way I, I look at it and later on if we have time we can talk about what these different types of problems are because i did touch on it a few times well let's talk about it now <laughs> right <laughs> yeah no time like the present. What, <laughs> kinds, what kinds of problems are these, you know, the ones that affect your business and are natural business cases? Right. Uh, so I imagine, um, imagine trying to draw um, two axes perpendicular, right? So we're going to end up with um, four types, obviously, four quadrants. Yeah. So on the, on the horizontal, uh, the x-axis, if you said to the left, are the problems that an individual solves and to the right are the problems that teams should be solving right so cross-functional teams mm -hmm. uh, so that's your x-axis and then the vertical axis um, on the bottom are reactive problems so it's kind of like when do we solve these problems so that the horizontal axis is who solves the problem the vertical axis axis becomes uh, when do we solve uh, the problems or when do the problems become apparent. Uh, so the bottom is reactive and obviously uh, the top will be proactive. So let's go around the, um, the, the four types. And, and so you, you travel a lot, uh, don't you? Like you, 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 oh, yeah. uh, you go through uh, airports? I do, yep. Right. Um, and I think uh, would it be fair to assume that most of your listeners would also be traveling through airports and it's, it's kind of an easy uh, example if I pick on? Yeah, go for it. Right, right. 
Um, so let's use, uh, not that I'm an expert in uh, aviation, but as a user and as a regular traveler, I'll use examples on each one of these uh, types uh, to bring it to life. So the bottom right, which are the problems that teams need to be solved on a reactive basis. I call these the team problems, and these are the ones that just basically pop up without any notice, and these are the chaotic problems that most refer to as we solve problems every day. Oh, I was thinking more like Susan hates Fred and they're not talking. <laughs> Those kind of uh, problems? Yeah, I mean, they, they pop up as well. And I, and I remember when I was working for Arnott's, uh, another uh, food manufacturer, I was working, looking after this line that was almost like a kilometer long. And guess what? When I was uh, working with the team on one end of the line, I would get a call from the other end saying, look, a machine's broken down. And if I walk down to the other end, somebody else would call me saying, look, I want to talk about you know, my overtime for this Saturday. And then uh, I would go there. And then somebody else would call and say, look, uh, I can't work with this uh, Mary right next to me and et cetera. So all of those things, yeah, they pop up on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay, so there you listed like, oh, I want to manage my overtime and then I've got personality conflict or, you know, so-and-so's absent or on sick leave or something like that. Is that the kind of team type stuff or is it more mechanical as well? Uh, more mechanical as well. So um, I said I'll use the aviation industry. So just imagine uh, there's fog. Pog? Fog. Oh, fog. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I don't I don't know pog, but fog no, I understand. No, no, yeah, no, I don't understand fog. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got fog. Yep. Oh, you got fog. So that comes with little notice, and when that comes in, now you got a team problem because look, how do you deal with um, as you can imagine with all the uh, the flight cancellations and connecting flights? So unless you have systems processes team capability of these are the problems we are walking into. So imagine if it was a shift changeover at the airport, how, how do you put systems in place? So the incoming shift better know exactly what they're walking into, what the situation is and um, how to deal with it. Right? So it's that level of problem solving, which can be ironed out by putting systems in place to minimize that level of disruption, right? So in manufacturing, yeah, typically it's the breakdowns that how do you react to it and um, you know, who do you need to call, et cetera. I love this as an example because I think what you've pointed to is what I often see as the people problems underneath some of that are the systems problems that drive the people problems. So coming back to the fog and the airport staff, say, for example, why do they have people problem is because the system's broken down and all of a sudden everybody's under stress and trying to deliver and if they have a crappy problem solving system uh, that you're sort of alluding to then that adds to the stress so they get crankier and all of a sudden they have comms breakdown and blaming and chaos oh look absolutely and you often see sometimes uh, there are longer queues uh, still at the airport so you've got longer queues and then there might be a shorter queue on the online booking or bag drop off. And sometimes you do see at, at certain airports and certain airlines, there might be like a supervisor who walks in and basically redirects customers to some of those shorter queues or trying to move the longer queues. 
And then there are instances where that doesn't happen. So I get frustrated because I'm the person who sees all the um, inefficiencies in processes all the way from when I'm filling petrol uh, to my car uh, or when I'm in the supermarket or when I'm at the airport. Uh, so, yeah, um, you know, I, I applaud and congratulate when people take the initiative and that's the team thinking, you know, when you're in that reactive mode. But unless businesses find ways to look at how many of those problems occur on a regular basis and how do you put systems in place to basically minimize the disruption when it happens next so that's a way of reducing uh, that day-to-day -day chaos and there are businesses who pretty much have minimized all of that so that it doesn't come as a surprise i love that so it's like creating systems to troubleshoot problems is one aspect of that, but it's not just chaos. You know, the, I mean, that's what you're talking about, reactive teams. That's the reactive chaos phase. Mm. What about um, proactive teams? So I'm looking at your quadrant model here. So um, that's where my brain's gone to. I'm not sure if that's the right way you want to unpack it. Uh, well, I want, I want to go um, clockwise. Um, if you don't clockwise. Mind. Yeah. Okay. So if we go into still in the reactive. Yep, still reactive. Looking at the individuals. Um, yep. These are problems that that only an individual can solve, right? So, um, so let's stay with the aviation. So Im imagine uh, the plane docks at the gate and passengers have unbuckled, uh, you're standing up and the door doesn't open simply because the aero bridge has broken down and it doesn't dock with the plane. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I love that scenario, not. <laughs> okay, uh, and... and <laughs> So somebody has to call, get maintenance, you know, they come in the flat, you know, car with the flashing light on the top and say, right. So only an individual with whatever the knowledge required to fix that can resolve that. You know, I call these are disruptive problems. Again, reactive, but only individuals uh, can solve. Of course, teams can put something in place to minimize, you know, like take the edge off while this is happening, but they're at the mercy of the individual who can solve these problems. So they're like the trigger point, if you like. So that's a systems problem, but the trigger to solving it is the individual who picks up the phone. Is that what you're saying there with that one? Uh, well, I, I don't think of it as solving. That's just reacting. So somebody oh, okay. picking up the phone yeah. um, is still uh, basically reacting, saying, look, I need you right now. Come here. Yeah. Fix these. In, in my manufacturing days, these were exactly, um, you know, the kind of the, the machine breakdown scenarios, uh, you know, that any production manager would hate because it's usually Sunday night startups. I don't know what it is with Sunday night startups. Uh, machines just don't want to collaborate and do their part. But, you know, you don't have people to support to you, but, you know, uh, <laughs> but yeah, just breakdowns. Um, the only way out of this or those scenarios is to go one up. So if we just go into the proactive quadrant, uh, Zoe, we're still, yep. still with individuals. So I guess there's not a lot you can do in the bottom half because they are reactive problems. But if you think about the bottom half as your day-to-day -day chaos, the top half becomes how do you proactively reduce the, the problem so that you can get ahead? That's kind of the analogy of my thinking. So over time, you could analyze in terms of, you know, the top three problems or the top three disruptive problems. Um, and it could be, look, package carousel number three could be the main culprit of the top breakdowns 
for the last six months, for whatever reason. So you could proactively get an individual to say, look, can you look at this? Because I can see on average, baggage council number three has been breaking down for 23 minutes every week. You know, by far, um, that's the highest compared to the others. Have a look at it. And there may be issues of, I don't know, I'm making this up as we go. So it could be worn out bearings or a worn out mortar. And that individual could fix it. And therefore, you could argue saying, well, you have proactively looked at uh, that problem and reduced it. So one tick. But you can take a step further. You can look at, well, if that problem occurred on baggage council number three, what fix do we need to put in proactively so it doesn't happen on any of the other ones? So again, now you're into the, the systems or the process side to be able to say, well, let's fix the whole, um, the whole system. Okay, awesome. I love the idea of proactively fixing chronic problems. I was just thinking about my own team and we've had a couple of chronic problems pop up again. It's like our password sharing mechanism broken down. So I get emails in the middle of meetings say, I can't log on to such and such because I need the, I'm like, ah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's a, it's a reactive systems problem, reactive individual problem, as well as reactive team problem. And if we, we did this proactive solution finding, it would be an easy fix, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Just uh, just used uh, Zoe123 as your password uh, for everything, uh, and then all the space. Shh, don't tell. Right. <laughs> okay, so we've, we've been an individual and proactive, and what's the name of that box? Uh, technical problems. Technical problems. All right, so we got one last, the proactive team one. What's that one about? Uh, that one's about complex problems. Um, so, yes, you're right. So proactively, you're solving these, and then you need teams to uh, solve this. In my time at all the multinationals and in my time in the last five years, you know, as an entrepreneur helping businesses to improve productivity, that's the space I work in because that's the part that's going to help businesses to reduce costs, improve productivity, efficiency, and also help them to unpack, unlock more capacity to do the work. So let me give you a quick example uh, in our aviation scenario about 10 years ago so if you were to catch a flight the only way you could board any flight would be through the forward door yeah do you remember those days yeah i'm trying to remember if i remember a time where you couldn't board through the back but i yeah. guess so <laughs> um no no more than 10 15 years ago yeah, okay. uh, so, the, the, so, so the concept of rear door boarding is somewhat new in the world of uh, aviation i'm sure there'll be an aviation expert listening to this podcast who can tell us exactly uh, when that happened. But think about it from this point. There would have been a point where the, uh, the airline would have struggled for capacity, for capacity to grow the business. And they would be looking at solutions of, do we buy more planes? Uh, do we add more gates to the airport? All of which are valid options of solving the problem of, how do we improve capacity for this business? So what we want to um, share with businesses is there are many ways to improve capacity or productivity, you know, as, as I see it, is to look at when in this scenario, the aircraft, when is the aircraft adding value 
to the airline? When is it not? So the clear distinction between value add, non-value add is what you look for. And that's exactly what I look through any process. So clearly passengers pay money to stay up in the air, not to stay on the ground in an airline, right? So the only way to add more value is to get the plane back up in the air as um, soon as possible. Now, the concept's not novel. Uh, you know, I remember reading a case study with Southwest Airlines in the US. And at one point, they actually benchmark a pit stop in a Formula One as a way of saying, look, here's a fast way of turning around a vehicle uh, through a pit stop servicing and doing whatever and getting it back on the track. How do we benchmark against that, an airline turning around at the gate? Now, no way you're going to do that under 10 seconds, maybe not with today's thinking. But that gives, I guess, the perspective of, well, look, we need to solve the problem of how do you turn a plane around in less than whatever we do right now. So if it's, if it's half an hour, how do we do it in 20 minutes? If it's 20 minutes, how do we do it in 15 minutes? That's not a problem you can solve with one person. So hence the reason why you need a team. And typically it's a cross-functional team of you know, engineers, marketeers, and HR people, and union, and workers. But somebody has to lead this project to say, look, our aim is to reduce the turnaround of an airline from, let's stick with the 30 minutes, um, to whatever we can reduce it. Look, if we can get it down to 20 minutes, that means you know, annualize with the number of aircrafts we got, how many more segments can we do and what would be the increased capacity for the airline? So that analogy and that example is exactly how I think through and how I share with my clients. If you're looking at either growing the business, and most of my clients actually have the problem of they are growing, but they haven't got enough capacity. So to help them unlock uh, some of these hidden growth opportunities yeah i'll work with them to say look let's identify these complex problems and uh, let's put a team behind it and i'll share with you what is the methodology to solve such a problem i love it that's pretty exciting stuff i mean i can see that that's your superpower i can imagine you walking <laughs> around and you kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier walking around with x-ray vision wherever you go going ah there's productivity Loss is right there. I'm, I'm curious, what are your, in your day-to-day environment, like what are the systems that you come across that have the biggest potential for productivity improvements or describe it in a different way, the ones that irritate you the most that you could see could be easily fixed with this approach? Look, it can be the tiniest thing as um, I'll be ordering a coffee at a cafe and, you know, like the sugar and the serviettes uh, at the wrong end, uh, you know, once you go through. So I'm the guy who just walks in and moves all the sugar and uh, spoons and everything to the right end. And there's this, and yeah, you're welcome. I'll fix it for you. <laughs> um, but um, You actually do that? You actually pick up and move their stuff around? Uh, look, I have in one instance, um, you know, because <laughs> it was easy, easy. Uh, and it felt that, look, the, fl- the floor uh, for the rest of the passengers, why would you have it here? You know, I, I order here and I move down there and that's where I need it. So... I mean, that's, that's a, a little one. Um, one of the other things that really frustrates me, um, Zoe, is I see businesses, and I'm going to be a little bit technical now. Have you heard this phrase called industry four? 
industry 4.0 is this a technology no. that you have come across no nope. well right so apparently we are in the fourth industrial revolution right oh, okay now. fourth industrial revolution i'm with you on that yep okay okay so um and and it seems like uh, you know in the in the world that i live in uh, you know manufacturing logistics you know this is quite a common terminology or something new that businesses are quite interested in and of course it, these are technological shifts as it states what i get frustrated with is um, businesses look for technological solutions as a silver bullet because we are all under a lot of pressure to reduce costs so we go down this path of putting in technology when all what we need is actually to streamline the process and um, work with the people. And what really frustrates me is that you can go down the technology path, businesses often don't get the full return on their investment simply because the fundamentals aren't there. So there is no shortcut to, um, you know, let's fix these uh, gaps. But you can move the sugar to the right end of the counter. <laughs> you can move the sugar, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it's an interesting way to go about thinking about work. Like it's looking for where the friction points is, is one way to do that. Uh, but I think there's also the, the higher level piece that you're looking at and having, having being able to do problem selection and asking, it's almost like a question asking skill. You know, how can we get more value out of the plane is a question asking skill, a problem selection skill. And that's a really important question. That's quite different than, oh my God, the fan belt's broken again. How do we fix that? Yeah, I love it. But teams and businesses, when they say, Ishan, we are very good at, you know, don't need you to come and teach us how to solve problems because, hey, you know, we're good. Uh, we do that every day. They are solving those reactive problems. That's why the CEO is solving the problems of the leadership team because they don't get enough time to solve the right problems. Oh, I hear that all the time. The leaders don't, like the CEOs don't have enough time to do the big picture thinking, which, you know, I have a program that's a solution to that, which means get them out of the office and into a place where they can actually do that big picture thinking and do the big, big question asking. Um, Ishan, you've got another book coming out. You've written one book already called Hidden Growth Opportunity, and you've got a really great white paper, Chaos to Excellence. Can people get that somehow, your white paper? Yeah, absolutely, um, Zoe. So would love to uh, provide your listeners with a digital copy. It's on my homepage of, of my site. Sorry, I'm just, I mean, I I just realized uh, it's, it's one of those names that's not going to be uh, easy to uh, share um, on a podcast. So it's ishangalapathy.com is the website. So if you go there on the home page, um, there's a place that you can put your details in. We'll definitely put a link in the podcast notes. So at Ishan Galapathy, which is G-A-L-A-P-A-T-H-Y.com, uh, people can get your lovely white paper, which as I understand it, is the precursor to your second book, Rising Above Chaos. Is that correct? Absolutely, yes. So um, when people read the white paper, they'll to realize that I've got manufacturing terminology and it's very much written for the manufacturing sector. However, it won't be too difficult to look at it from any industry aspect and look at how it can relate or how it can apply to any sector. 
The second book I'm writing, uh, Rising Above Chaos, is very much from an industry agnostic point of view um, and to help organizations come out of this day-to-day chaos and what are the things we need to put in to at least start getting our teams to work better. I think there is a lot of focus on individual productivity. You know, there's the our good friend, uh, Zoe, yours and mine, uh, Dermot Crowley, of the light, uh, who helps people and um, does do um, good work of helping the individual productivity. There is the Tim Ferriss of the world who you know, talks about the four hour week, uh, work week. These are the individual people who help with individual productivity, but I want to look at collectively as teams, how do we improve productivity and get the team out of the day-to-day chaos? Wonderful, and when is that book coming out? Oh dear, do I have to make a declaration now? And you, you can totally hold me. do. <laughs> right, right. Well, I'm going to mark uh, May, um, end of May. Oh, this, this year? Mm, 2020. Oh, awesome. That's great. Well, I look forward to that book coming out and getting it to the hands of people because I think collective productivity is an issue that all leaders face is how, how can we as a group work better together to produce results that matter. And uh, I think never has it been more needed. And if you can convey your superpower, your x-ray superpower to find those efficiencies and productivity gains, then that's awesome. Ishan, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom uh, with me and everybody who's listening. You're very welcome, uh, Zoe. And um, uh, yeah, look forward to um, catching up when we uh, cross paths next. Well, that was a really cool interview. I love interviewing guests who have different operating brain systems than mine. (laughs) I totally value the systematic, logical, analytical brain that Ishan brings to the table. And I could totally do with some of his skills in my uh, workplace. The key takeaways from me were build a business case for the problems that you want to solve. And that helps you distinguish which problems are worth solving. (laughs) I think that's just brilliant. And the other piece was create systems to handle the reactive, the recurring reactive problems. And it just made so much sense. It's like, instead of having to solve this recurring problem all the time in a reactive mode, how about we create a system to handle it so there is no drama? Speaking of drama, if you have people stuff dramas in your workplace, that's my specialty. That's where I can help. And I do that through masterclasses to help people deal with the trickier people stuff, like difficult conversations, like building better culture. So if that's you and you want to have a chat about what I can do to help you reduce the drama and build better people stuff in your business, go to the contact page and send me an email or email me directly, zoe at intercompass.com.au. Love to hear from you and love to help solve your people stuff problems. In the meantime, live well, lead well.